0: Hello, once again, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. And I'm your co-host, Jackson Eflin. Thank you for joining us for the inaugural episode of our Sports Bracket.
1: This is our third bracket, yay. Well, it's going to be very hard to Google.
0: The podcast was initially inspired by someone getting really into the March Madness spirit and making a Disney bracket that was terrible. So we made a better one, and we got even more involved, I guess. Well, I
1: can't say for sure that we made a better one. We made a different one.
0: I would say ours is better just for the sheer fact that we have half-hour episodes documenting the reasons why each one moved on rather than just picking one.
1: Okay, sure. But I don't think Chicken Little was on that bracket. (laughs) However, we're not here to talk about Disney movies. We're here to talk about sports movies.
0: Um, I've got some bad news for you. There are a number of Disney movies on this sports bracket. Gosh dang it. (laughs)
1: Oh, well, I guess I'm really excited to see Rapunzel and Jasmine have a fencing tournament. <laughs> I'd watch that. Yeah, right? I was kidding as I said that and I realized I couldn't think of any sports with fencing, and then I'm like, wait, that's just sword fighting. <laughs> this is the strangest thing I've ever done!
0: But getting back on topic, we are here to talk about our sports bracket, which we will be starting off with 1976's Rocky, as well as 2016's Eddie the Eagle
1: these are the latest and earliest
0: movies on our bracket yep spanning a 40 year difference which is quite large definitely larger than our previous bracket but not as large as disney
1: yeah i'm sure there weren't comic books back then so don't make me hurt you um let's talk a little bit about where we come from in terms of sports because i feel that will help color people's understandings of how we're going to talk about these movies Fair enough. Do you want to start? Sure. So I have very little experience with sports in terms of watching or playing them. I was on a Fresh Robotics team, and I was on the Latin Club soccer team for one
0: year, and that's about it. I have a little bit more experience with that. As for personally playing, you know, I did the traditional suburb stuff, Little League. Uh, I was on my school's basketball team for a year or two. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. You're tall, it makes sense. This is like middle school, so I was like... 12. And I mean, given
1: that I'm incredibly buff, it's weird that I wasn't on the
0: wrestling team. (laughs) What a mistake to make it. But by high school, I had kind of abandoned most sports. As for watching them, my family wasn't a huge into them. But I did live in the south suburbs of Chicago during uh, Bulls Mania for both three So there's definitely a lot of sports that has osmosed into me. Yeah,
1: I haven't watched a lot of sports. But I have a friend who She teaches languages to high schoolers and she speaks like 18 languages or whatever. And so she's super into just international politics. So whenever the World Cup comes around, I kind of watch vicariously through her. And I get it. Of the sports that I've seen
0: even just a little bit, I get why football is fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Like I really love sports movies, even though I'm not a huge sports watcher. And I think part of that is because sports films do such a good job of distilling down those amazing moments from sports without all of the boring stuff.
1: Right. Sports movies often tend to be very formulaic. You kind of know more or less what you're getting into as you're going in, and there's a comforting aspect to that. Mm-hmm. You know that they're going to make you feel really excited about this character or this team, and so you kind of let them get you into it. And the same way that romance movies make you feel really excited about this couple
0: or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think with that, we can go ahead and get into our first summary Film that kind of helped solidify some of those tropes and formulaicness of sports films. Rocky Balboa is a collector for a loan shark living in the Philly slums. He moonlights as a boxer, fighting in small venues, but his coach Mickey drops him for wasting his potential. Meanwhile, Apollo Creed, the heavyweight champion, is in Philly promoting the next big match to take place New Year's Day of 1976, celebrating America's Bicentennial. Unfortunately, Apollo's schedule opponent suffers an injury and has canceled. Scrambling to find a replacement, he suggests grabbing a local boxer, making a spectacle about the land of opportunity. Apollo just happens to choose Rocky. Rocky accepts the challenge, and after an emotional reunion with Mick, begins training. In between training montage, he and his love interest Adrian grow closer, while he and his best friend Polly grow apart. The day before the fight... Rocky's touring the arena, and starts second-guessing himself. Before the fight begins, the boxers enter the ring with very different ideas about what this fight is. Apollo believes this to be a publicity stunt, and it'll be over in three rounds. Rocky, on the other hand, wants to prove that he can go the distance, and while not win, at least last all 15 rounds. Apollo's assumptions are quickly proven wrong as Rocky knocks him down in round one, the first time that's happened in Creed's career. After that, the fight becomes more serious, with both combatants receiving serious injuries. As the final bell sounds, they both agree there will be no rematch. In the aftermath, with the audience growing wild over the fight, Creed is announced as the winner in a split decision. Rocky calls for Adrian, and they embrace. Credits.
1: After the comics bracket, I was really kind of excited to leave behind the way we had to give a trigger warning every other episode because of the sort of comics that were getting (coughs) adapted into these things and how that was all going down. And I was like, ah, sports movies, family friendly. We won't have to worry about sexual assault triggers. What fools we were. (laughs)
0: We do, unfortunately, have to place one on our discussion for Rocky. We'll go ahead and make sure that there's a uh, timestamp in the description so you can skip past it and listen to our other commentary on the movie as well as for Eddie the Eagle. But there's really no way of getting around it.
1: Don't even think about doing the 70 meter. I don't want to have to clean up your mess when you break your neck.
0: So, this movie's a lot darker than I thought it was going to be. I mean, this is an underdog story, but when you think underdog story, you think, like, plucky underdog not living in the slums working for a loan shark yeah you figure like the nerdy poor kid not this guy
1: who's sort of that but grimdark
0: yeah i mean boxing movies in general tend to be much darker than a lot of other sports films specifically because it's a combat sport sure and also i guess because
1: rocky is kind of the quintessential boxing movie and it is a fairly dark movie so i guess that would kind of create
0: an atmosphere for that yeah
1: it's kind of weird. I feel like the Lone Shark thing doesn't really get resolution.
0: No, it really doesn't. Towards the beginning of the film, he's doing a collection. The guy doesn't have enough money, and he's supposed to like break his thumbs. He ends up not doing that and getting in trouble with Gazzo, his boss. And it's like...
1: I think if I break the guy's thumb, he gets laid off, right?
0: Reasonable. <clears throat> it kind of feeds into this thing of showing Rocky... He's got a really good heart. He's a kind-hearted person, even though he's living in these circumstances and beats people up for money, Mm -hmm. both by day and night. Beyond him getting chewed out in that one specific instance, there's not a whole lot of tension with him and his job, especially after he gets all the publicity from, you know, he's fighting the heavyweight champion. Yeah. In fact, Gazzo even just gives him some money for training expenses and whatnot.
1: He's such a nice loan shark. Kind. Generous.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff is just kind of there for set dressing and not much more.
1: Which is weird. You don't throw in characters trying to get out of the loan shark business into your plot and not do something with it. The 70s. Yeah. And I mean, I guess maybe that gets addressed in later films, which we had not seen.
0: Yeah. I specifically avoided watching more of the films before this episode.
1: Yeah. Mm. And like you said, 70s. Uh. This movie looks like the 70s. It kind of looks the way cheap hotels smell. (laughs) I heard once that on a YouTube video, kind of a let's watch of the Star Wars Christmas special that someone had ripped off of VHS, they described it as looking the way cigarettes smell. And I kind of have a bit of that vibe from this movie. I would agree. I think it's just the nature of film grain at the time, but also the streets are full of trash and debris. The sets are often run down places, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Which isn't exactly a bad thing. It doesn't make the movie worse. It definitely adds flavor and texture. I get the sense of what this world is that Rocky lives in. It's just a world that I'm not super excited to return to just because of
0: how kind of gritty it is. Not gritty, uh, grimy. To go along with that like gritty griminess and the, the dark tone, there are a lot of slurs that get tossed throughout the film. Oh, yeah. So we have a few instances of the R-slur getting thrown around, Yep. which, 70s, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't nearly as much stigma. But we also get some uh, ethnic slurs thrown around by a few characters towards Italians, I believe also towards uh, Irish. It's not great, but it's not like I didn't expect that going in.
1: Well... I didn't because I've. Rocky is such a well known film that I sort of assumed it would be also a kind of relaxing feel good movie. Mm. Not like something that would be in like the Godfather continuity. I feel like there weren't really a lot of likable characters in this movie.
0: No, I do think that's one of the major problems of the film. Let's go ahead and get into the probably least likable character of the film, Polly.
1: Listen, I have seen horror, I have seen evil. I have seen the unholy maggots that feast upon the dark recesses of the human
0: soul, but until this movie, I'd never seen Polly. Ah, <sighs> Polly is a cruel bastard. Mm-hmm. He's a schmuck, and this film would be so much better without his involvement at all.
1: It becomes increasingly clear that he is very abusive to his sister, Adrian, Rocky's love interest. With a lot of verbal abuse that has clearly led to her being this very shy, sheltered person who uh, seems always like one hair's breadth away from having an anxiety attack.
0: Yeah. There are a number of examples throughout the film. We don't need to list them, but... Yeah. Yeah. I'll list one of our first introductions showing them because it's one of the lighter ones.
1: It's a good object lesson.
0: So, Polly invites Rocky over for Thanksgiving dinner, and... He's specifically trying to set Rocky up with Adrian. And Rocky's nervous and he keeps questioning. He's like, hey, your sister, you sure your sister knows I'm coming? And Polly's like, yeah, yeah, she knows, she knows. And they get there. It's very clear that Adrian did not know that Rocky was coming. She was not prepared for that. And she wasn't prepared to go out. She was cooking a turkey for Thanksgiving dinner and trying to get everything ready. So she kind of, like, goes off to her room because she's panicking about all of this and doesn't want to deal with it. Rocky kind of goes in there and coerces her out. Then Polly tries to, like... Hey! Hey, now you out of here,
1: systematically! Go out and live. Enjoy
0: life! Adrian is, still doesn't want to leave because she's cooking everything. She wants to stay there. So Polly takes the turkey out of the oven... Grabs a drumstick, starts eating it, but throws the rest of the bird in the trash. And things with Polly only escalate from there throughout the film.
1: A bright side is that towards the end of the film, as Adrian gets more and more confidence, she does eventually break free from this relationship and move out. And give Polly a good talking to. Those are all things that happen, and in a vacuum, they are great. But also, Rocky seems to still be friends with Polly after things are over. He's still friends by the end of the film.
0: Yeah, in fact, he does Pauly a favor on the back of his boxing robe, advertising for the meatpacking place that Pauly works at and that was letting him train there, punching the carcasses.
1: Is this a common training method? I mean, do other fighters pound raw meat?
0: No, I think I invented it. And there's never any reckoning that comes for Polly. It's just, oh, he did these awful things and Adrian is able to finally get up the courage to leave. But Polly's still in the periphery always, which means that Adrian is always kind of got to be looking over her shoulder.
1: Yeah. If someone you love is trying to cut an abuser out of their life, you should probably stop being friends with that person.
0: Paulie is a very complicated character. He blames Adrian for a lot of the problems in his life because she is this homebody. Because she, he feels like he has to take care of her and whatnot. And as the film goes on, it's very obvious that no, Paulie is the cause of Paulie's problems.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that his rant about how he has to take care of her, where is she without me, is definitely part of the emotional abuse he's putting her through.
0: Exactly. And if there had been a reckoning for Polly, I would have really enjoyed Adrian's subplot. I think overall there's lots and lots of good pieces, but unfortunately it starts off with some really icky stuff.
1: Yeah. Before we go to further with that though, I said there weren't any likable characters. <coughs> Adrian's fine. I like Adrian. She seems like a lovely lady. Yeah. But yeah, the, the date they go on is very coercive and i think the way it was written was meant to be adrian is in her shell and rocky is helping her find her way out of it which is a perfectly real thing happened with lots of people and it's nice when someone is there to help someone get out of, out of an abusive relationship however the way it's shot directed the way the characters are blocked it feels much more like a woman who is too afraid to say no to a significantly larger guy who has her trapped in his house
0: there's a lot of coercion going on with Rocky trying to get her to come inside after the day, trying to make sure that she doesn't leave, trying to be in physical proximity to her. It does not work.
1: Mm-hmm. And if she had made it clear at some point in the film that she had interest but was afraid to show it or was afraid to act on it, that could have been fine. But there's no real indication that she has any interest in this guy who keeps just coming to her work to talk at her and do a bad stand-up.
0: Look at these birds. Don't these birds look like candy, you know? Like flying candy? I think story-wise, we've already covered all of my major problems. It's Polly, it's the mishandling of Seven of Adrian stuff, and other than that, the film's story and pacing are pretty solid.
1: Eh, I mean, yes, but I feel like the movie just kind of ends. I'm not sure what it was all building to, it's all about this fight, obviously. That's what like the physical plot is, but I don't fully understand Rocky's arc as a character.
0: I will readily admit that Rocky's arc is a little opaque, uh, especially by like modern film standards. But what it's all about is he has kind of been wasting his potential and he keeps getting called a bun. He's down his luck. He doesn't have a whole lot of resources, even though he has lots of talent. And this fight is Rocky proving to himself and others that He can put in the work and he can better himself. He can, quote unquote, go to distance. So him lasting all 15 rounds against Apollo Creed, no one expected him to be able to do that. And yet he did. And everyone was astounded at his physical prowess. Mm -hmm. They don't really come out and say it. And I will readily admit that the ending of the film is a little too abrupt for you to really absorb that. Sure. That makes sense
1: the part of that is I had a bit of a hard time following the end fight because it's not very well shot, so it's a little hard to tell exactly what all is going on with these characters' interior emotional states for some of it. Yeah. Not all. It, it's not terrible, but the fight choreography isn't great.
0: Yeah, the fight choreography is actually really bad for most of the fight. Honestly, it's not until the final few rounds where the punches feel like they're actually hitting as opposed to just like whiffing through air Mm -hmm. for the beginning parts of the fight the announcers are talking like apollo is landing punches on rocky but it does not look like it at all and i was very very confused i'm like i i thought he's dodging out of the way of those
1: i will say i like apollo a lot as a character yeah
0: apollo is great
1: he's also more interesting to me than rocky Mm -hmm. because Apollo is this incredibly sure businessman who's also a very good boxer Mm -hmm. and he has a lot of interesting thoughts about America and opportunity and race Mm -hmm. that the film more teases at than really explores and I actually kind of appreciate that for the character who is uh, functionally an antagonist and is more presenting a theme Mm -hmm. for the film than necessarily trying to give a thesis
0: yeah they do a really good job of not villainizing Apollo Creed even though he's the antagonist of this film he is always shown to be this really upstanding guy Like, the worst you can say from him is that he's overconfident going into the final fight. But he's the heavyweight champion of the world going up against a boxer that nobody knew their name a few weeks ago.
1: Yeah. And his suave charisma makes him very different from Rocky, who is this very awkward, uncool person. Mm -hmm. I would watch movies about Apollo Creed. I know there are a lot of Rocky movies. If there was a Creed spin-off
0: series, I'd totally watch that. I also wish that there was a little bit more meat to Rocky and Mick's relationship and kind of repairing that. The scene where Mick trying to comes to apologize to Rocky and get to be his trainer and whatnot, Rocky's just not having it. Wants him to leave. Then Mick does, and Rocky then starts allowing himself to like be angry and shout and show all the emotions that he was holding back.
1: I have no baby from you. Don't come around me.
0: While Mickey is out in the hallway, still able to hear everything. I think that's one of the better scenes of the film. I just wish that after that, there was a little bit more going on with it.
1: Right. It also plays into this thing where Rocky keeps forgiving people who are horrible to him. And doing that once for someone who deserves it is understandable. But the way it keeps happening makes me feel like Rocky has a character flaw of being too forgiving. And it's one that he never gets over.
0: I think that's a pretty plausible character flaw for Rocky to have, considering how kind-hearted he is. Sure. But they never explicitly state that that's a character flaw. That's just something that Rocky happens to be. And they don't necessarily make a judgment call on it. And that eh, probably could have decided to do that either one way or the other. Right,
1: I think that is a perfectly fine character trait. And I really like that in a character in a sports movie. I think it's a really good choice for where he is in his life i just wish the film unpacked it more again one or two scenes at the end could have worked through that
0: if we had less of him and polly doing things if we had maybe truncated some of the training montages down a little bit i do like that there's two of them one showing where rocky starts off the very beginning of his training and one right before the fight so you can see how much progress he's made Mm -hmm. i do like that but i do think that both of them are a little on the long side
1: Yeah, although they are still good montages. Oh, yeah, they're
0: great montages. They're iconic. If you want to parody a sports montage, you're probably going to be parodying Rocky.
1: Yeah, I've seen so many sports movie montage parodies that use the Rocky music that I didn't realize that was actually the music from Rocky. I thought that was just like a stock
0: music that people were using. And when it came out, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I think a lot of the problems of this film are how plot-driven it is as opposed to how character-driven it is. Yeah. I think if they spent a little bit more time focusing on characters and what is motivating them, what they're doing, would have worked better. Unfortunately, like Sylvester Stallone is not terribly great at that. It's not something that he can just kind of weave into a scene necessarily. Yeah. All right. I think I've said my piece on Rocky. Do you want to move over to Eddie the Eagle?
1: Sure. So, Eddie the Eagle came out in... 2016, it's made by basically everybody who made the Kingsman movies. When that's uh, the Marv logo flash up for the production company, I'm like, ah, I know what we're in for. Michael Eddie Edwards is a laser focused child. He wants to be an Olympic athlete, but he's not that good at sports. And his family can't afford proper training. His mom is supportive and his dad think he should give up on his dream to become a plumber. Undaunted, he pushes ahead to ski jumping. The rules haven't been updated since Archduke Ferdinand was alive, so basically all he has to do is enter. He goes to Germany to train. While there, he is mocked by proper athletes because he has no form. But Hugh Jackman, once an Olympian, now a snow groomer, gives him some pointers and Eddie's determination pushes through his gruff exterior and he trains Eddie up to readiness. Eddie makes a jump from the 70-meter hill, returns to England to sign up for the team, only to have the rules changed on him. His jump isn't enough. He goes on a circuit tour, trying for the requisite 71-meter jump, and at the last chance, makes it. Now an official Olympian, he finds the team derisive of him as an outsider and makes a fool of himself during his jump. The crowd loves him, but the Olympic board, his teammates, and Hugh Jackman all criticize him for not taking the sport seriously. He announced that he'll be doing the 90-meter jump, higher than he's ever jumped before. He comes in last, but is still embraced for his bravery by the world and grudgingly by the other Olympians and his dad. This is all broadly based on real events. Michael Edwards is a real person. Hugh Jackman is based on Bronson Perry, etc.
0: There is no Ronson Perry. He's not? No. Oh, okay, well, then never mind. It is based on Michael Edwards and his entrance into the 1988 uh, Calgary Olympics. Maddie the Flying Finn... Is, That's who I'm thinking of, never mind. ...is also a real person who was also at those games. But beyond that, a lot of it has been fictionalized to make a good movie.
1: Yeah. So, where do we want to start? Um. Let's start with our main athlete, who is played by Taron Egerton. And Taron Egerton is a sweetie. In this movie. I love how
0: he's just been typecast as this, like, working class English boy who is thrust into greatness. Mm -hmm. It's the case here, in the upcoming Rocket Man, in Kingsman, in Sing, (laughs) where he happens to play a gorilla, but whatever. But a working class British gorilla. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Dad, I'm I'm sorry. I just don't want to be in your gang. I want to be a singer. He's good at that, so I, I understand why he keeps getting cast to those roles.
1: Yeah. And it's not that he can't do other things. He's not really that Kingsman 2. He's an upper-class British kid finding his prime. He's the sort of lovable doofus who doesn't seem to mind that he makes a fool of himself. And that's a really appreciable character trait. It's a very non-toxic way of looking at things. hmm
0: and pretty much every scene that Eddie is in, in my head, I'm going, You got hard, kid. <laughs> and, like, that's what sells this movie. If Eddie didn't have that infectious joy in everything that he's doing in trying to become an Olympian, I don't think this film would have worked.
1: No. If he wasn't constantly, like, one stirring chord away from singing about how he's going to go the distance. Oh, actually, <sighs> wow, sorry. Taron Egerton as Hercules in a live-action Hercules movie. I can see it. Yeah. I'm <laughs> just all of Greece like that kind of I guess cockney accent (laughs) including
0: Olympus.
1: (laughs) So anyway we're off the rails now but speaking of cartoons I feel like the dad and some of the other antagonists are a bit cartoonish in this.
0: Yeah I will grant you although the mom just let her child walk around in the middle of the night him trying to go to Rome for the Olympics because he broke his own record of holding his breath in the bathtub for 56 seconds.
1: I I do like how she's like he's off to the Olympics again. But the flatness of some of the antagonists makes Eddie's victory feel more inevitable. Mm. Because they're so cartoonish, it makes the narrative seem simpler and therefore I don't believe that it won't have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dustin Target is kind of the main focus here, and he's functionally Mark Gaddis's character from Christopher Robin.
0: Yeah, he is the head of the British Olympic Association, and he's the one who told Eddie that he wasn't going to be on the slalom ski team. He's the one that was behind the change to increase the minimum distance for ski jumps to in order to enter the Olympics. And he's just kind of been in Eddie's way the entire time. And part of that is because Eddie comes from the lower class. And he's like, no, you don't deserve to represent Britain on a national stage. We want the best of the best. And that's clearly not you.
1: So we get some features from Eddie about opportunity and all that. Wow, there's a lot of land of opportunity going on here. Both these movies.
0: Well, I mean, Eddie is the underdog. Like, we, we talked about it in Rocky. When you say, oh, it's an underdog sports movie, Eddie is like the epitome of what you expect. He really is.
1: Which brings us to uh, his mentor figure, Hugh Jackman.
0: I love Hugh Jackman playing Bronson Perry in this because he's playing Bronson Perry as just Wolverine. As
1: we've learned from the comics, all the best Wolverine stories are about him and a young feminine figure going on a road trip of self-discovery. And, I mean, Eddie isn't super feminine, but everyone is pretty feminine compared to Hugh Jackman's massive legs and
0: his cigarette that he smokes while going down (coughs) a 90-meter hill. He's just kind of this ridiculous parody of this, like, washed-up, drunken cowboy. They have Hugh Jackman, a Canadian man, playing an American character. He's Australian.
1: Like I said, he's from Canada. (laughs) And he's so very cool and so very the
0: drunk archetype. Mm -hmm. I do actually like that he gets some character growth as well. Eddie softens him and makes him realize that, yeah, he may have missed his chance at the Olympics, but that doesn't mean that he's washed up. He helps Eddie get there. And after Eddie's final jump, he and his mentor, Warren Sharp, played by Christopher Walken, uh, actually meet and kind of resolve their differences. Mm. I was wrong. I am championed. All of that is completely made up for the film, but it all felt very compelling.
1: Mm -hmm. It also gives a secondary arc that is less assured, because this is very clearly a feel-good sports movie. You don't expect it to go badly. Mm -hmm. Although I do appreciate that Eddie still comes in last in these events, Mm -hmm. but it's clear from day one that he's more excited about the competing and the doing his best as opposed to winning. And again... Healthy, non-toxic masculinity. Mm
0: -hmm. It's also, if Eddie wasn't there competing, there would literally be no one there as a British ski jumper. And in the film, he breaks British records for ski jumping because the last person to go to the Olympics and do it was in like the 1920s.
1: I don't have anywhere to go with this is this is a commentary cul de sac, but on his way up to the big ninety meter hill, the final one, the one we've all been waiting for, Eddie runs into Maddie the flying Finn Canaan. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, but he's this other Finnish skier who's
0: the He's considered the best in the world, has massive jumps.
1: Yeah, and because he's the perhaps most Scandinavian person ever, he looks like some sort of elf. So it feels less like Eddie meeting another ski jumper and more the elvish spirit of skiing has appeared to him to grant him wisdom in his darkest hour. Feeds into the, like, hero's journey archetype this movie is not at all straying from. Yeah, I guess that means a small town and journey is the underworld for the purposes of this movie. (laughs) Whatever. It's not a bad scene, but I couldn't help thinking of it as being sort of a dream
0: sequence or something,
1: it's because of how incredibly fave this actor is.
0: One thing I do want to talk about is the orgasm metaphor that they oh use throughout, throughout the film for jumping. Hugh Jackman is trying to teach any proper form for jumping and uses sex and orgasm as a metaphor.
1: Starting gate is foreplay. The in-run is where you build your rhythm, okay? And the takeoff... That's your special moment, all right? Same facial expression, it's the same straining of the muscles, but same peaceful feeling of release.
0: And it comes up a, a couple of times, and it's very incredibly awkward. But honestly, knowing that this is from the same guys who did Kingsman, that makes a lot of sense why they decided to go that route.
1: Yeah, the weird in between Eddie and Hugh Jackman was a lot. Shockingly, I can't believe that Taron Egerton is in a movie where his mentor is an older man that he has intense sexual chemistry with.
0: <laughs> it does also lead to the close-ups on the 90-meter jump from Eddie, giving a whole new meaning to the term O-Face.
1: Oh, wow, you're not wrong.
0: <laughs> and by O, I mean Olympics. Get your minds out of the gutter.
1: <laughs> and into the rings. <laughs> Speaking of the attempts at teaching Eddie, we have a lot of really fun scenes of MacGyvering Training supplies out of whatever you can find in a barn, and I appreciate that. They're fun sequences.
0: Mm -hmm. Again, it leads to this whole underdog. Eddie doesn't have a lot of training money, and he's doing this all by himself without any support from the BOA, so gotta make it work.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's a good counterpoint to when uh, Hugh Jackman just sort of breaks into the Norwegian team's training facility and shit talks all their equipment.
0: So they have these like balance balls throughout that scene and watching Hugh Jackman pretend to be drunk and everything. I was just expecting like claws to come out of his hands and just start popping the balance balls. (laughs) I can't believe Hugh Jackman just do that as a person. (laughs) One last thing I want to talk about. So this is a period piece that takes place between 1987 and the 88 Olympics. Plus some scenes early with Eddie as a young child. But they do a great job of using a very evocative of the times score. And I love when period pieces are able to do that. And I think it works better when they're based on true story. Doing them as period pieces as opposed to like soon after they happen. Because they know what songs are going to have the most nostalgia. What are going to be the most evocative of that specific time period. And that is definitely the case here. They use the music so well and get you so excited and pumped for all of Eddie's jumps. Yeah. In fact, one of the songs that they use is. It was a bit on the nose, but whatever. It was on the nose, but kind of in the best way. Like, yeah, it's, like it's exactly what I expect from this movie. Right.
1: Like this movie wears its heart on its sleeves and doesn't try to reinvent the wheel. It's just here to make you feel good, and I'm, it does a pretty good job of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, during this film, it does a lot of like title cards for when and where we are. And the film opens in 1973, and you call out, two years before Rocky Balboa fought Apollo Creed. (laughs) Um, And that kept going on and on, and this is the same Olympics where Cool Runnings happened. So keep an eye out for this. We are slowly building a comics practice cinematic universe.
0: (laughs) Uh, I do specifically love that they called out the Jamaican bobsled team in this film. But now we to the bobsleigh event, where the Jamaican team are trying to steal Eddie's thunder. It was great.
1: Before we close up, I do want to introduce two bits to this bracket. Okay. Because these are all sports movies. These are going to apply for each every time. And that is what has a better montage and what has a better training gimmick. So, better montage.
0: I gotta go with Rocky. Like, Rocky is... I'm not going to say the originator, but one of the originators of the sports training montage.
1: It's the codifier.
0: Yeah, it is so iconic. The music, as soon as it comes on, you know exactly what's happening. You see Rocky running up those stairs, punching those beef carcasses. There's no way that Rocky is not the better montage. That's fair.
1: And our true training gimmicks are... Tying a string between your ankle to help you learn your balance. And thinking about sex while Hugh Jackman holds you up to learn how to glide. <laughs> what's what's the better training gimmick of those
0: two? Are we going with better as more effective or better as you would like to be the person doing the training? I
1: think what is better for helping a person
0: learn the sport you're talking about? Okay. I think Hugh Jackman would have a very busy schedule if all ski jumpers (laughs) had to uh, do that exercise (laughs) with him. So I'm going to go with the... uh strings on the on the ankles
1: <laughs> that's a fair argument <laughs> that said we really need just to like have a move towards this huge act when doing that for every single person and getting really more and more tired
0: also I I feel that there is a very significant chance that were the like whole lift up and sexual metaphor thing to happen training would probably devolve into something else very quickly I mean I'm sure that movie exists somewhere are you asking for an Eddie the Eagle porn parody
1: <laughs> I mean not Specifically, I feel like it's, I mean, listen, there's nothing unique about these people. All you need is just like a shortish blonde guy and a tallish dark haired person and you can call it a porn parody. It's not like if it was like Mystique and Galactus or whatever, we'd have to like put effort into the costumes.
0: (laughs) With that out of the way, what's moving on? Rocky is a sports classic. It is considered one of the best sports films of all time. It has spawned six sequel, <clears throat> six sequels within its own cinematic universe, and it is baffling to me that it's not moving on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to move on to Eddie the Eagle. I mean, people have and will continue to write essays and make statements and analyze Rocky and its place in film history. However, Watching it isn't all that fun, and I feel like sports should be easy to watch.
0: That's not to say that the entire Rocky series is doomed because of some of our issues with it. I still think there's a lot of good cinematography going there. There's some great filmmaking. The writing isn't very strong. Again, we kind of talked about they're focusing a little bit too much on plot, not enough on characters, but there are six sequels, two of which follow Michael B. Jordan playing Apollo Creed's son. Mm -hmm. which Which
1: have... Perhaps the best trailers of any movie in recent history.
0: And then you get into some of the later Rocky films, and they're bonkers. Like, Rocky Four has a robot in it. Yeah, I love the bit where Rocky is just, uh, in a Jaeger fighting some kaijus. <laughs> I mean, there's one where Rocky is pretty much just fighting the embodiment of communism. <laughs> is there time travel? Not as far as I'm aware. <laughs> is
1: there still room for time travel? The answer is yes, there's always room for time <laughs> travel. But there's not room
0: for Rocky in this bracket. So... Here's that Eddie the Eagle is moving on. So next week we will be discussing Bring It On, as well as heading back to the 88 Calgary Olympics to discuss cool runnings. If you want to make sure to catch that as soon as the episode goes live, you can make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Podbean, and Spotify. Also upcoming is our final episode of Gratuitous Thrones we will be going over the series finale. So if you're into Game of Thrones and want our perspective on episodes, you can feel free to catch up on the previous five episodes and get ready for that sixth one. Mm -hmm. Until next week, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.